Well, it's a real joy to be um, launching our new series for August. We're looking at the book of Philippians. Paul wrote a number of letters to those early churches, and Philippi is still a place you can visit today, but it was particularly significant in New Testament because it was the first church to be planted in Europe. And uh, as we work through it, you'll see some really helpful insights for our lives today. So there's a theme that runs through Philippians. It's the theme of joy and rejoicing. You see it culminating in chapter four where it says, rejoice in the Lord always. You don't mean all, yeah, always. And there's a sense of joy in all the things that he's gonna talk about. But we're looking at a chapter each week that'll take us through August and particularly looking at chapter one tonight. Chapter one is most likely in the Bible the most significant chapter that unfolds what it means to have a life of deep devotion to Jesus that's expressed in our commitment to the gospel. Nowhere do we see such a clear unfolding of that. So as we read through in a moment, you'll see if you're taking notes or if you're online taking notes, want to study earlier, these are the four key things that you'll find as we do it. It'll be firstly the partnership of the gospel in verse 5, the advance of the gospel in verse 12, and then the defense of the gospel in verse 17, and in verse 27 is the life of faith worthy of the gospel. It's an amazing unfolding of what it really means to be committed to the gospel. So... In this series, particularly, we're, we're, we're working through a, a book or a letter in this case, so all our series are Bible-based. Sometimes we're taking a, a theme or a subject series. Sometimes it may be a character looking at the life of David. And other times it's kind of exposition where we unfold a passage of Scripture. It might be a whole long passage. It may be just a simple text. But for us, the Bible is the base of authority for all life and practice, for our personal lives, for our family lives, for our work life, for our church life, for our life in society. So it's really important to understand how we handle scripture. And that's what we're gonna do in this series, is trying to dig into the Bible and see how do you unfold it, how do you understand it? And I hope this evening will be a great experience of that. So hold on to your chair, and here we're gonna read through chapter one of Philippians. And we'll highlight those four things as we go through. Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all God's holy people in Christ Jesus at Philippi, together with the overseers and deacons, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Here's the first of those titles, because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you, since I have you in my heart. And whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify, I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And this is my prayer that you may that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight so that you may be able to discern what is best may be pure and blameless for the day of Christ filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God now i want you to know brothers and sisters that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. 
There's the second of those titles. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel, the third of those titles. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I'm in chains. But what does it matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in my body, in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for me. Yet what shall I choose? I don't know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith. So that through my being with you again, your boasting in Christ Jesus will abound on account of me. Whatever happens, conduct yourselves in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel. Without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you, this is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you are going through the same struggle you saw I had, and now hear that I still have. Father, we pray now that you would come by your spirit. Spirit of truth, guide us into truth. As we unfold these scriptures, bring them alive to us. As we expound this deposited word, speak, Lord, your servant is listening. In Jesus' name, amen. So again, what we're going to do illustratively today in handling scripture is I'm going to unfold what we might call, expound as it were, this, this passage, these four key points. And in that I'm kind of uh, sharing or unfolding that deposited truth of scripture that stands forever. But for each one of them, by the end of it, I want to take a kind of prophetic word I feel for tonight, a now word, where we take that deposit truth and bring it alive as God's speaking into our lives today. So let's launch off. And firstly, we're looking at the partnership of the gospel. Particularly this partnership is a partnership in prayer. What does it mean to partner in prayer in the gospel? 
we have an amazing team of people around the world we call our global partners. People we don't see that often, in fact, some of them working in remote parts of the world. And yet, we can partner with them in prayer. Prayer is such a significant part of our sharing here in the gospel that's around the world. It's not just, you know, praying when we see them or occasionally, but what does it mean to actually partner with them in prayer? We, in fact, have a, a lovely one of our global partners who's just come back from working 17 years overseas in a remote island in one of the most difficult parts of the world. She's been such a faithful servant and has seen God work in remarkable ways. And it's been wonderful over those years for us to partner with her in the gospel. Sometimes months go by, we won't have seen her, but the opportunity to pray for her. And you think, well, how do you pray when you've not even got that point of contact? Now, as well as our overseas partners, there's many ministries. We've heard of one tonight with the soup run around the city we pray for. There are many individuals. There's many people that we share. We're in church every Sunday. We'll pray for people. But it's one thing to just say a prayer with somebody. What does it mean to partner with somebody? Where there's a persistence in that praying. So persistent we see here. He says, you know, from the first day until now. Now, the first day at Philippi was, in fact, where Paul arrived there. His normal practice would be to go to the synagogue. But in Philippi, it was a Roman colony. Uh, there wasn't a synagogue. You normally needed 10 male Jews to establish a synagogue. So there were just a few women that met down by a river to pray. And that's where he went to go. And the first woman he speaks to is Lydia. And the Lord opens her heart. She responds to that good news of Jesus. Before long, a whole family, a whole household become Christians. And then she opens a home. And that home becomes the first church in Europe. From that first day until now, Paul is in prison now again, a different place altogether, but over all that time, they have partnered in prayer. How, how, how do you do that when you're not even sure sometimes how to pray? He actually says what his prayer is. So here in verse 9, he says, uh, this is my prayer. You think, oh, uh, uh, Paul's just sent a little note to say, you know, I've had a difficult time in the open air and I'm about to go out preaching again tomorrow. Could you pray? No, this is my prayer, he says. He said, I pray that you may have a depth of insight to discern what is best. Now, it's interesting because often, every day, I usually will pray with somebody. And often, someone may come for prayer and say, Rob, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling at the moment. I just need to know God's guidance, whether I should buy the house around the corner, number 30. Is it the right, is it best for me? And I'm more than happy to pray with them. Or maybe I've just seen an advert in the paper, Rob, I've been looking for a job and I'm looking at this. Do, do you think it's best for me? I'm happy to pray for that. But that's just praying into a single situation. Number 13, around the corner, this job advert. But what I often will say is, I want to pray more than just the situation in your life. I want to pray into your life that cultivates an ability to be able to have a depth of insight to discern what's right. So whatever the situation is tomorrow, particularly for a missionary sometimes overseas, we're not seeing and don't even know what's happening today, but I can still pray today. And we pray every day for Amy. And one thing we pray is, oh God, today, give to Amy a depth of insight, Lord, to discern what's right for her today, whatever she's doing. Today, I pray that with somebody. Now, Paul goes on to illustrate in this chapter, in verse 19, of how he's valued their prayers. He says this, he says, how thankful is it? I'm so thankful for your prayers, he says, that partnership in prayer, because through your prayers... And the help of the Spirit, I'm going to be delivered from prison. He is in prison, locked away. But he believes their prayers, miles away, is actually going to bring that deliverance. Prayer is such a key thing. But it's that persistence in prayer. How do we keep on praying? 
from the first day until now. Now, many of you uh, still may use that little kind of A4 prayer sheet that I've mentioned many times, you know, where you put on, just fold an A4 sheet in four and one quarter put something you could pray for every day. The next quarter put days of the week, something you pray for every day on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday or Thursday, and then on the other half put the days of the month. I do that every day. I'll pray for people. And some people I pray for, I prayed for for years. So for Amy, all those 17 years she's been overseas, I would have prayed for her. When she came home this weekend, it's wonderful to have time with her, and Pam spent some time with her and baked her little cake. And, um, but it was wonderful to hear what God has been doing because she has now left behind that island where she worked. And she feels God's call to a new country, even more challenging than that remote island. This is a country in West Africa, a really challenging remote country. Do you know, about 40 years ago, I was praying for a number of countries around the world. I used to use, it was before Operation World had been published, but OM had given some little cards in which they would put different countries on these cards. You pray different days for a different country. And it would tell you a bit about the country, the population, the capital, a bit about the makeup of the country, etc. And this particular Saturday morning as I'm praying, I pick up this card and I'm praying for it. And something really jumps out to me. I, 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 in fact, I don't think I'd noticed it though I'd used that card before. But it actually said on it that in this country there were no Known believers. No known believers. What do you mean? A whole country? A whole population? And no believers in Jesus? No. And some of that really stirred something in my heart. Uh, and I prayed. I can still remember on that Saturday morning praying. I prayed two things. I prayed, oh God, you know, if it's possible, bring somebody from that country, maybe to this country or to another country where there'd be Christians and there to meet some Christians and just hear about Jesus. But Lord, also... Maybe send somebody to that country to work and to tell them about Jesus. It was a Saturday morning I prayed that. It's a country you most likely wouldn't have known anything about. It's not one of those well-known countries in the world. It's a rather remote and challenging country. In the evening, we had here at Bristol the Bristol International Student Centre reception. We had hundreds of students from all around the world, every continent of the world, gathered together. We regularly have had it here. And uh, uh, people gathered together, sometimes meeting for the first time, someone from their own country, maybe in Nigeria or South Africa or in Thailand, where it may be. And, and they were in little groups talking together. And you could see them really excited as they shared their own language and culture. And, but there was one student stood on his own. He was obviously from Africa by his looks. And uh, I went across to him and said, hi, I'm Rob. And, and he introduced himself to me. And I said, which country are you from? He said, oh, I'm, from, I'm from Africa. Yeah, yeah, I said, but which country in Africa? Oh, he said, it's no good me telling you. No one's ever heard of it, he said. No one's even ever known about it, he said. I said, go on, just tell me about it. And he told me the name of the country. It was the country I prayed for that morning. I said to him, you know, he said, do you know anything about it? I said, the capital is so-and-so and the population is so-and-so. And I told him, he hugged me and he's so excited as if no one ever had he met in this country, even from Africa, had ever known about it. We invited him to tea the next day. He came to our home for tea. Now, sometimes we've had our overseas students, they'll bring him maybe a little bag of sweets, you know. And uh, he brought a gold watch. His father was one of the leaders in this country, this, this remote country that was such an amazing place. And here that very day, because what I find in prayer, I often say about prayer, often people say to me, Rob, how do, you, how do you pray for so many different situations and not make it just a routine? You know, God bless mum, dad, the next door neighbor and the dog, you know. Because every day, every day when I pray, I mean, Always, every day, there'd be two or three people or situations that jump out to me. That day, it was that country. 
I'd used those cards over many years. But that day, that country jumped out to me. That was God's timing. But you know what was even more amazing this weekend? When Amy shared the country that she now feels God is calling her to, it, my heart really leapt. She feels God's calling her to that very country. About 40 years ago, I pray that one day there'll be somebody from this country that would go there. You imagine, from the first day until now, there's a sense, because with our persistence is marked also by a promise from God. In these very verses, it goes on to say, so I'm thankful, he says, for your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I always pray with joy for you. And he goes on to say, because I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. That's my prophetic word for this evening on this first point, the partnership of the gospel. For some of you here, God has begun something in your heart. He's sown a seed. Sometimes it's been years ago. For some of you, you've almost given up on it. You thought it could never happen. Some of you are struggling even now about something that you know God has begun in your heart. He stirred something in you. But somehow you don't see how it's going to happen tonight. My prayer prophetically is for you that here tonight we'll have a ministry time afterwards, a chance to pray that God will stir a new confidence in you. That he who began that good work in you will bring it to completion. For me, something happened that Saturday morning, that same evening, that same day, but the rest of the other prayer was 40 years later. What is it that God today wants to bring to completion in you? That partnership in the gospel in prayer. The second one is the advance of the gospel. And I must hasten. So with the advance of the gospel, um, it's an amazing moment. Paul's in prison. He's in chains. And uh, this was the least likely place you're going to be able to witness. You know, you can you can imagine those believers, the Romans used, you know, punishment like this to deter anybody else from becoming a Christian because this is what happens because you end up in chains. So you, you begin not to talk so often about being a Christian because, you know, the leader is in chains. But it was the opposite for Paul. He actually, he took what was a limitation and made it an opportunity. Somehow a challenge became an opportunity to him. He wasn't just in prison. He was under the Praetorian Guard. These are the elite, hardest of Rome's soldiers, the kind of bodyguard of Caesar himself. These are the most difficult people to be, and he was chained with one of them, day and night. Do you know what he says? I want you to understand, brothers, you've been so worried about me and so fearful of what's happening. I want you to understand that, that God has used my chains for his glory. I've been able to share with the whole Praetorian Guard that my imprisonment is for Christ. He'd seen many of those come to know the Lord. They're in prison. So much so that it goes on to say, and therefore, many of those believers were encouraged to share their faith because of the way that Paul had worked. How do we do that in our lives? How do we turn situations around so that what seemingly would be a, a real hindrance, what so often we make our limitations, our excuses, you know, have you shared with anybody this week about your faith? Have you? When was the last time you led someone to the, well, well, Rob, you know, I'm in a difficult job at the moment. You, you don't know my work colleagues. They're really hard. You don't know my neighbor. You don't know my family. And my limitations become my excuse. But for Paul, limitations became the opportunity. Somehow he turned it and was able to see God at work in remarkable ways. You know, this... Um, 
this, well, I say this past week, this, this year almost, uh, I've had lots of opportunities just one-to-one -one with people, just people who've been seeking. Um, Paul speaks about the, the way in which we're covered a little bit more on the defense of the gospel, but I, I've had amazing opportunity with even my neighbor. So what, what I've done is for those focusing, I, I do a little kind of John's gospel Bible study with them. So we've had a conversation. Uh, this is my neighbor some time ago said to me, Rob, you go to church, don't you? I said, I, I do, yeah, actually. And uh, uh, they said, tell me a bit about church. And we talked about church. And I said, are you interested? She said, yeah, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a Polish and a Catholic, she said, but I, I haven't been to church for a year because it just seems so miles over my head and things. And I said, but you interested in knowing me? Yeah, I, I would be interested in knowing more. Well, you know, would you be interested in just reading the Bible, one of the biographies of Jesus? Yeah, yeah, I would be interested in doing that. Okay. Sometimes they haven't even got a Bible, so I'll say to them, I get her online, I'll give them a Bible, and uh, it depends if they're close enough to be able to do that. But they'll be able to say, why don't you then just read the first three chapters and write down your questions? So he did. My neighbor this week, in fact, just been going through. Uh, one of my best friends, the week before last, I've been doing it with. And, and amazing to see those questions that come up. It's taking those opportunities to advance the gospel. Sharing that good news, Jesus. Don't let your limitations be your hindrance. Let them be your opportunity. The third one, quickly, is the defense of the gospel. The defense of the gospel. The apologia, the apologetics, the way in which we, not just proclaiming the good news, but we're also ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. People are full of questions, and people ask questions in different ways. Sometimes it's, it's a cynic. Like Paul speaks about some of you here, they're just, they're, they're hassling me, they're stirring up trouble. Uh, just like often there was a, people that would be heckling him in the marketplace and, uh, and asking all sorts of questions. For Jesus, it was a constant question for religious leaders. They weren't really interested in the answers. They were just cynically trying to put him down or to uh, disprove it, as it were. But then among those questions, there were seekers. Nicodemus was, a, but he was genuinely asking. And he said, how do we, identify those seekers how do we come alongside them how are we sharing that good news of jesus with them i was just sharing recently with um, my wife's cousin's grandson um, when he was a teenager got into drugs really badly heavy drugs ended up in prison and ended up homeless one of those you know see him in the shop front doors down in broadmead in the evening with just a pile of rags and some box cardboard box and underneath it is a homeless but he was one of those we tried everything we could to help him even sent, sent him to took him to Birmingham to a rehab center there but he just never ever responded he just only was there a few days and was gone but then one day one day God touched his life and completely changed it so this last Friday and the Friday before he texted me to say Rob I'm down in Broadmead place where he used to be, just homeless in a shop door. He said, I'm outside one of the shop doors, even where they used to do it. He said, I got my little loudspeaker and my coffee and sandwiches, and I'm preaching the good news of Jesus, and just prayed over someone to become a Christian. That radical change in lives. Finally, the life of faith that's worthy of the gospel. One of the greatest hindrances often in the community of the gospel is when there's a life that's living double standards, that hypocrisy. I remember someone once saying about someone who they knew well and knew their life and had heard them preaching, and they said, I still remember saying, you know, his life, his life speaks so loud, I can't hear what he's saying. His life speaks so loud, I can't hear what he's saying. We cut people's ears off 
when there's that kind of double standard, that hypocrisy, that emptiness, and yet we're still trying to make it sound religious as if we do. Now, I'm not saying a life worthy of the gospel is a life that's perfect without any failures or faults. But it's a life that's genuine, that's humble, that's open, that's honest. God's not asking us to be worthy in a sense of, you know, we haven't failed or we, we, we got it all together. Or he's asking us to be willing to lay our lives down for him. And so in this passage, it goes on in these amazing verses, verse 27, to speak of her. In fact, often that life worthy of the gospel is most demonstrated in the face of suffering. It has been granted to you not only to believe in Jesus, but to suffer for him. You mean, that's a gift? Yeah, it's been granted to you. It's a gift. The opportunity. Somehow it's in the face of suffering that we see most clearly demonstrated. The way we react to difficult circumstances, challenges, disappointments, heartache, hurts, criticism, suffering. The way we react to that often is a louder message to a world around us. Demonstrates that life of Jesus. I've found over the years, people I've met who've suffered for their faith. I still remember Pam and I was in China and um, spending some time going inland in China to some of the underground church. And we, I still remember going to this old loft in, uh, up on top of this building in, into a loft where we were to meet a, one of the leaders of the underground church. He'd spent most of his life, maybe 40 years of his life, in solitary confinement. I was wondering what to expect, a kind of zombie person with a sober sense of, you know, 40 years in, in solitary confinement. But there was a radiance, a reality of the life of Jesus that was wonderful to see. Somehow suffering. The Bible describes a bit like gold being refined. You think, that's gold, don't put it under a burns and burn. No, no, you put it under a burns and burn. What happens? It, it's refined, it's purified. Sometimes we try to avoid suffering we even think God didn't answer our prayer in saving us from suffering. But often it's through suffering that God demonstrates his grace. You know, I'll finish little, this little illustration. But you know in nature, when you see a caterpillar crawling along the ground, very limited in its movement, shuffling along, and then it looks as if it's died. It forms into a chrysalis. It almost looked the shape of a coffin, hard as a coffin. And then after a while, that cycle of nature, you begin to see the crystals wriggling and struggling and uh, something inside is, is really struggling and flapping and you think it's going to die. And eventually, the chrysalis breaks open and out emerges, not a caterpillar, which could only crawl on the ground, but a butterfly with a whole new dimension of life and color and movement. It's a picture that nature gives to us of resurrection itself, that creature so limited, dying in a coffin now, a resurrection life, a new life. But I remember hearing a, a friend who did a little experiment. It was out of compassion. They wanted to save the butterfly as it emerged from all the pain, all the suffering, all the hardship is almost, you think it was going to die the way it's wriggling inside and fighting to get out as it when it's pumping away inside. And so what he did thoughtfully and carefully, he thought, with a sharp razor was to cut the chrysalis open. And the little butterfly inside flapped outside. And he, oh, wonderful. He saved all that pain, all that suffering. But sadly, the butterfly 
could never fly. See, what happens is in that struggle, it pumps fluid down through those tiny vessels into those thin veins of wings and they begin to emerge. And as it's pumping and it's suffering and struggling, but in the pain, in the suffering, it's actually producing something that could have happened in no other way. God is sometimes doing things in our lives, even through pain and suffering, through heartache and disappointment. But what is it to trust God and see that pure goal being refined? What is it to live a life of faith that's worthy of the gospel, where you feel it's been granted to you not just to believe, but to suffer for his sake? A life worthy of the gospel. It's not about our own human worth, but our willingness for that life of faith, completely devoted to Jesus and committed to sharing that good news, the gospel, the partnership of the gospel, the advance of the gospel, the defense of the gospel, the life worthy of the gospel. That's my prayer here tonight. I just want to sense those prophetic words even now. Let's just pray together. Just bow our heads in prayer. And as we're praying, for some of you here, that first thought on the partnership of the gospel, you need a new confidence. God has begun something in you. God has sown a seed. You may have already given up on it, but God has not given up on you. And tonight he just wants to renew that confidence. In your heart now, just make a commitment to say, Lord, come by your spirit. Stir that confidence in me that you will bring it to completion. For some of you, it's the advance of the gospel. You've made your circumstances and the challenge you face your excuse for not witnessing. Today, God wants you to see them as opportunities. That difficult colleague at work, that awkward neighbor, those problems and pressures in family life. Oh God, help us to see in those limitations new opportunities. For some of us, it's the defense of the gospel. We need just a sense tonight, that fresh awareness of those truths that are in Jesus and to be ready to give a reason for the hope that is within us. And yet in the end of the day, it's not just human rationale. It is divine revelation for God to use us to bring that truth to others. And finally, that life worthy of the gospel. I'm not asking tonight if you're perfect, if you've never made any mistakes. I'm not asking in that sense, are you worthy, but are you willing? Willing for your life to be available, to be able to say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. The gospel has taken the sting out of death. Come now, Lord, by your spirit. And even as we close in worship tonight, Lord, draw out from us that response to those prophetic stirrings. In Jesus' lovely and precious name.